Amazon is the cheapest place to buy things online, right? Turns out that might not be the case. A recent study revealed that despite Amazon's largely successful branding efforts, there are other places around the web that are beating the online retailer's pricing. Plus, Taco Bell recently did a bit of a rebrand of their tried-and-true well-known logo. We'll touch on this and why so many of even the biggest brands are falling into one of the oldest traps in the branding world, trend following. Also, if you're a blogger, you've probably heard of an editorial calendar. Today, we'll dive into why, if you don't have one already, an editorial calendar is an essential piece to building a strong online presence. All this and more on The Rightly Designed Show. No man who cares about originality will ever be original. It's the man who's only thinking about doing a good job or telling the truth who becomes really original and doesn't notice it. You're listening to the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Designed Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas and this is the Rightly Designed Show. So before I get into some of the topics that I mentioned at the top of the show, I wanted to take a quick moment to mention something new that we're doing or that I have available for the Rightly Designed Show. So in the past, I've mentioned that you can go to rightlydesign.com slash question and you can record a question that you like to have potentially featured on the uh, on the show. Uh, and that still stands. You can still go to that URL and you can record a question for the program. You can also write one in if you'd like as well. Uh, you can do that through the online form that's available there. You can also just email it to show at rightlydesigned.com if you'd prefer to do it that way. However, I noticed, you know, as you uh, as I was going through the process myself, uh, it works great. We've already received questions and, and we've had one featured on the show uh, that was filled out or that was recorded on the website. So that works great. It's a little bit tricky, though. It involves you being able to get in front of a desktop computer and you have to make sure that your microphone works and all that. So I wanted to make it a little bit easier for you to be able to submit a question. So what I've done is I have actually set up a phone number. So one of the ideas behind Rightly Designed is that I do just want this. This is very much your show. So I want you to always uh, feel free to make sure that, you know, the the different topics that are being discussed and covered on the show are going to be things that are relevant and actually helpful and useful to you. And part of that involves hearing from you and getting some of your feedback and some of your questions. If you do have a question, again, if it's related to design, marketing, branding, or WordPress, that would be... uh, that you think would be a great fit for the show, feel free to ask that question. And even if I don't know the answer to the question, I'm always happy to do some research. And, you know, these topics are constantly changing and evolving as markets change and evolve with them. So I'm happy to learn right there with you. So if you'd like to ask a question, again, I do have a a new phone number set up. And it's pretty simple. You just call in anytime you want and just uh, record your question just as you would online. It's just that much easier because you can just call this number. So that number is 888-727-1496. Again, that's 888-727-1496 if you'd like to ask a question for the program. Okay, so an interesting study came out recently in a, actually a newspaper called The Times, uh, and it's actually a UK-based newspaper. They also have The Sunday Times. But they did a study that was finding that Amazon isn't necessarily the cheapest place to buy things online. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up and why I thought it would be worth covering is the fact that Amazon has very much built a brand 
that revolves around being the cheapest place to go for things online. Now, for sure, they've also built a brand that says they have everything. Uh, Amazon, you know, has become synonymous with purchasing things online. Everybody, you know, there's Prime, there's all the different elements of Amazon that makes them kind of the giant when it comes to online shopping. And something that's been secondary to all those things, as I mentioned, has been the fact or at least the idea or the perceived notion that they are the cheapest. Uh, so this article dives into the fact that that's not necessarily the case. Uh, there's actually another article I found, which was uh, in TechCrunch, that was actually from back in May that touched on the fact that Amazon quietly ended something that was called their price matching policy. So this is part of what kind of grew the perceived notion that Amazon was the cheapest place to buy things online. They had something like this price match guarantee and an interesting thing about this price match guarantee is even though you would kind of think initially that that means, oh, okay, so that guarantees that Amazon is going to be the absolute cheapest out there, even that wasn't necessarily the case back when they had the price match guarantee. So I'll just read a quick snippet from this TechCrunch article again, which is back from back in May when Amazon discontinued their price matching. So it says Amazon has quietly ended its price protection policy on all products except for television. Uh, televisions. The change to the company's policy comes at a time when a handful of startups have launched to help consumers automate the process of requesting refunds when prices change on online sites, including Amazon and dozens of other e-commerce stores. For example, newcomer Ernie recently debuted a mobile app that helps consumers get their money back on purchases after price drops. Ernie co-founder Oded Vakrat says that so far around 50% of the refund, uh, the refund requests the app has handled were for Amazon purchases. Ernie also competes with Paribus, which offers a similar service both online and on mobile. Meanwhile, older sites like Camel 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 allow consumers to track Amazon price drops and receive alerts. Prior to this policy change, Amazon's price protection policy was already one of the least friendly to consumers, as it used to provide seven days of price matching on price drops. That means if you purchased an item from Amazon, which the company later marked down, you could request a refund. However, unlike many stores, Amazon only matched its own prices for items, not competitors' pricing, with the exception of TVs and cell phones. In comparison, other stores have more pro-consumer policies, including Best Buy, which provides price matching during its returns and exchange period, and it goes on to some of the other uh, Amazon competitors and the different uh, price matching policies that they have personally in uh, that they have employed for their companies. But you know, those things aside, Amazon, again, has very much built this brand that they are the only place to go to and to shop online. Obviously, Best Buy and Walmart, some of these other places, they have online shops, but they're not, that's not really their bread and butter. That's not really what they're known for. Most people go to a brick and mortar Best Buy or they go to a brick and mortar Walmart. So this article in the Times has an interesting, uh, they did an interesting study, which kind of poked holes in the branding notion that Amazon is the cheapest to go to when it comes to online. So uh, that article, I'll just read a, a quick portion of it, but it says uh, customers are being lulled into believing they're getting the best deal from retailers on Amazon when the product can be can often be bought cheaper elsewhere online, including the own retailers' websites. A Sunday Times investigation has found a number of cases where rival independent retailers who sell on the Amazon Marketplace platform are offering the same product at the, 
offering the same product at the same lowest price on Amazon, suggesting fierce competition and a bargain for the shopper. In fact, uh, the products can often be bought more cheaply at other online stores. In some cases, the retailers offer the same product at a cheaper price on their own websites. The Sunday Times analysis of price differences between the best deals on Amazon and those available elsewhere follows a pre-Christmas warning by the the Competition and Markets Authority, CMA, that online retailers could be colluding to fix prices and comes less than two weeks before the online shopping bonanza of Black Friday, which Amazon will be spearheading. So obviously that was a few weeks back. But Black Friday, the feverish sales day uh, imported from the U.S., which falls, uh, which this year falls on November 25th, has proved a boon for interest uh, for internet sales, and Amazon has been described as the first place to snap up killer deals, quote unquote. Those deals might not always be the cheapest, however. Last week, a pair of Ruark wireless speakers was being sold by 16 retailers on Amazon for £299. Again, this is an article from the UK. Uh, but the cheapest price available at the on, uh, was the cheapest price available at the online store. However, the speakers could be bought for £20 less at an independent online store. An Audio-Technica LP60 USB rec- uh, record turntable was offered by three retailers at £129 on Amazon. Uh, on Amazon on Thursday, the lowest price on the website among 11 sellers. It looked the best price, but the turntable could be bought for uh, £99 at John Lewis. One of the retailers, Nottingham Hi-Fi Center, which was selling the turntable on Amazon for £129, was offering the same product on its own website for £99. Another retailer offering the same product for £129 on Amazon was selling it on their own website for £119. So it goes on, and uh, you know they've got several different examples here. But the interesting thing is that these, a lot of these retailers, what they're doing is they're kind of play, they're kind of gaming the system, uh, in in the essence that they're they're selling them through Amazon at a higher price than they are on their own uh, on their own online retailers. But this isn't necessarily just limited to uh, these actual retailers. Um, a lot of Amazon itself, a lot of the prime things that they sell or a lot of the products that they have, they're not necessarily the lowest price that you can get online. As this article goes through in detail, it's a pretty in-depth article. And as always, I'll leave links to these uh, uh, these different articles in the show notes if you'd like to read them in depth. Uh, and today's show notes are at rightlydesignedshow.com slash 34 if you'd like to take a look at those. But the interesting thing to take away from this, and whether this is within... Amazon's control or not, still it's still interesting to consider, is the fact that they very much have built this brand presence or this brand identity that shows that or that perceive that offers a perceive a perception to the public that they are the cheapest. Not only that they are the biggest, but they are they are also the cheapest. This is part of the reason why Amazon's Prime membership has been so powerful for them, because one of the biggest hurdles to you know consumers buying things online that they that retailers have had to overcome is the cost of shipping shipping for you know a consumer has always been perceived as this extra added thing that they have to pay it's like a tax almost that they have to pay on top of everything else so the very fact that amazon has offered something like a free 2-day shipping for prime members is an example of how they have again created a uh, an idea in the minds of their customers that they are the cheapest. You know, set aside the fact that you actually the fact that you have to pay for that prime membership in order to get that quote unquote free shipping. 
So unless you're shopping a lot on Amazon, you're not necessarily recouping the cost that you would have had for just paying for two-day shipping. It depends, obviously, on how much you buy. Um, but again, what has been established you know, time and time again throughout Amazon's history is that they're the biggest and that they are the cheapest uh, in many instances. But uh, what's happening here is that not only are they not the cheapest, but there's even some evidence to suggest that there's some price fixing going on or that there's some actual, uh, not inflation of pricing, but pricing that isn't necessarily as competitive as it could be right before even things like the Black Friday sales and things like that. So why are they able to do this? There's a number of different uh, reasons why they're able to, why this will even work. And the reason it will work or it does work is because, again, they've created this brand identity, this concept that they are the cheapest. So it doesn't really matter what they're pricing on. They're banking on the fact that somebody isn't going to necessarily be paying attention to the fact that the pricing is what it is. They're not necessarily going to shop around. Amazon, again, is, is you know, capturing in on the fact that most people are just going to assume that since it's on Amazon, it's going to be the cheapest. So again, is that necessarily what Amazon planned on doing or is that necessarily something that they strategically set out to do? I don't know. But it's a good lesson to learn that when you're building a brand, uh, when you're building a brand that stands for a certain thing, if your thing is that you are the cheapest or you are the largest selection and you don't necessarily live up to that and you kind of use that that perception to push your brand another way or to change it, you kind of start to erode the trust that consumers are going to have in your brand. So again, I don't know if that's something that Amazon necessarily purposefully set out to do, but it is playing off of an old perception of Amazon that they are, again, the cheapest. So interesting thing to take away from, you know, in terms of the price fixing. And again, if you're an Amazon shopper, you can always know the fact that eh, they may not necessarily be the cheapest if that's what you're after. So in another uh, on another topic, we had some rebranding going uh, going on recently for Taco Bell, which is a little bit interesting. So Taco Bell has had the same logo for years. You've probably seen it before. It's pink and purple. It's got the big bell and it says Taco Bell, obviously. So it's a lockup logo. But they recently changed their logo and there's been some interesting feedback to it. I know my initial reaction when I saw it was it looks like a bank. That's no longer Taco Bell. And again, uh, I'll leave a, an image comparison side by side, which will show the old logo next to the new logo. And so always feel free to let me know your thoughts. You know, you can leave an article uh, or you can leave a, a comment, you know, on the actual article or on the uh, show notes for today's episode. Uh, but it's really interesting to take a look at. Um, and it's very, it's got a very generic feel to it. So there was an article over in Fast Co-Design and they kind of hit, hit the nail on the head when it comes to the new design. So it says Taco Bell, makers of all fast food Loco Grande, is getting a new streamlined logo just in time to open a, a new Vegas Strip location. A new logo designed to better fit in today's multimedia, multidiscipline branding requirements than the last logo introduced in 1995. But even though it was done with the help from Lip, uh, Lippincon, or Lippincott, it just makes me want to retch. The old Taco Bell logo was hardly sophisticated, but it was proudly 90s. The decade of Chester Cheetah, of Wayne's World, and uh, OK Soda, and Leopard Print leggings 
It had a, a defiantly double dare aesthetic that double dared you to make a run for the border on cheesy gordita crunches and bacon cheeseburger burritos. It was joyful and colorful, fun and innocent, and it didn't care if you were judging it, which is the perfect quality for a fast food chain in America to have. So what this guy's really honing in on is the older logo, while it was kind of cheesy and it didn't necessarily, it wasn't the most sophisticated logo in the world, it captured Taco Bell so perfectly. It's, it spoke what it said, you know, what it was and what it represented. Um, so it goes on. So there's a lot to say about how boring the new Taco Bell logo is. The old Taco Bell logo used uh, used what appeared to be the same font as the old Dell logo, quirky, 90s, futuristic, and weird. That's all gone now. The new typeface sure isn't Helvetica, but it's close. Uh, meanwhile, the Bell's, or the Bell's icon is still there, but it's been stripped of all its zing. At best, it now looks like the icon of a forgotten Albuquerque offshoot of the Ma Bell breakup. So pretty similar thoughts to actually what I had uh, in mind when I first saw this. It looks like a bank. It just looks like a generic bank or credit union or something. Uh, it, it, there's nothing about it that's you know unique or that lends itself to the actual Taco Bell brand. It doesn't. If you've ever seen like some of those old you know short Taco Bell commercials, they're all about you know it. They're fun. They're zany. They've of course they've got you know uh, the different types of crazy food that they have on their menu, but it just does not fit the brand at all. And so one of the things that, you know, one of the takeaways from this is this is kind of a growing trend that's that I've been noticing a lot among a lot of newer or not not newer brands, but older brands trying to compete with newer, younger companies. And that is trend following. And so if you look at this new Taco Bell logo, that is exactly what they're doing. It's got the look of every new, not even necessarily a startup. It looks like they tried to be more hip and more modern. And hip's not even the right word. They tried to be more modern and sophisticated, and it does not fit at all. So it would make sense if you were trying to do a rebrand and you're trying to turn Taco Bell into a sit-down restaurant to compete with something like Olive Garden, obviously of a different you know, style of food. If that was what you were trying to do, I might see this. But that's not Taco Bell at all. Taco Bell is very much fast food. And just like he was saying throughout the article, the older logo, had, you know, while it did have its kind of 90-ish flair and quirks to it, it fit Taco Bell. And that's really the key to a good logo design. Isn't necessarily that it's pretty. I hear this a lot. I, I want a logo that looks pretty or I want a design that looks pretty. Sure, it needs to look nice. But even more importantly than that, it needs to capture effectively that which it is trying to portray. And that's where I think that this new Taco Bell logo kind of falls a little bit short, could be a little bit better. Again, it's following the trends of the day. It's following, it's, it's leaning itself more towards Apple or Microsoft or all of these bigger companies which are doing very much the same thing. That might work for Apple because Apple is a more modern, sophisticated brand. Taco Bell is not. So what would have been nice to see would have been if they were going to do a rebrand, if they were going to do a brand new logo design, would have been to do something that was still faithful to the old look and feel. You can modernize it to some degrees. That's understandable. Uh, but at least remain faithful to what Taco Bell is as a brand. And it is not a sophisticated sit-down restaurant 
or as you know, I initially saw, you know, it's not a bank. So, <laughs> so interesting things to take a look at. Again, if you'd like to take a look at the old logo compared to the new one, you can see that at rightlydesignshow.com slash 34. And again, that's today's show notes. So today's main topic is an editorial calendar and why it's so important. And if you don't already have one, I'm just going to go through and give you some tips on how you can create one as well as some useful tools to do the same. But before I do that, I wanted to take a quick moment to mention today's sponsor, and that is ConvertKit. So ConvertKit is an excellent tool if you're wanting to build your email list. One of the things, one of the problems right now with a lot of marketing efforts is that they rely a lot on social media. So maybe you've got a YouTube channel or you've got, you know, you've got a Twitter account, you've got multiple Facebook accounts. The problem with all of those things is that they could disappear tomorrow. We all remember CreateSpace and how popular it was in its heyday. But it's not really much of anything today. Not many people use CreateSpace to build or to push their marketing efforts. The same thing could always happen with something like Twitter, uh, Facebook, YouTube, any of those different sites or companies or social media sites can go out of style really quickly. The difference between that and an email list is that you completely own that email list. You own every subscriber and you can always port that over to a new service if you know that ever were required. So not to mention the fact that the engagement rate on an email is significantly higher than a tweet or a Facebook post or you know something on Pinterest or even on Instagram or any of these different social media sites out there that again, just kind of come and go with the wind. So out of all the different uh, email marketing tools I've used out there and I've developed with and, you know, as I've been building different websites and brands, I found ConvertKit's functionality to be far and above the actual, the absolute best. I've tried MailChimp, I've tried Aweber, I've tried a number of these different services, and I find them either being lacking in the, in the actual features that they provide or they provide too many useless ones that just make the whole process of creating and managing and maintaining an email list way too cumbersome. So they've got tons of different automation features built right in there. They've got tons of different organizational features as well that make it super simple. Things like tags and segmenting. So lots of things to try out. If you would like to give ConvertKit a try as a listener to the Rightly Designed show, they're going to offer you a 30-day free trial. So this is only available, again, as a listener to the Rightly Designed show. And you can do that if you visit rightlydesigned.com slash ConvertKit. Again, that's rightlydesigned.com slash ConvertKit to get your 30-day free trial. With a ton of WordPress themes on the market, finding one to help you accomplish your goals can be a bear. Notable Themes takes a new approach by offering niche-specific themes and plugins. From building your email list to gaining more followers and boosting sales, every theme is crafted to help you strategically grow your audience so you can spend more time on what you do best. Best of all, themes are super easy to set up and are accompanied with a step-by-step -step video tutorial. It's time to get a site that does more than just look pretty. Hey, that's Notable Themes. Have a question for the show? Feel free to visit rightlydesigned.com slash question or call 888-727-1496. Okay, so the main thing I wanted to talk about today 
is the importance of an editorial calendar. Now, before I even get to the topic of an editorial calendar, it's important to first preface this with why you would even want one. So it's really important when you're building a business or when you're building a brand, whether you're just a blogger or whether you're, you know, trying to to create, you know, an online shop or you've got a big business that you're running or starting or just trying to improve, creating content is really important. And, you know, by content, I mean something that you provide for free to people who are in your audience. There's a number of different reasons for this. Uh, Number one, it starts to establish the type of brand that you're trying to build. Number two, it offers something of value to people that give them a reason to continue to come back to you. So even if you're not necessarily selling them anything, it's still a good way to be able to reach out and to provide them something of value again so that you can begin to establish a level of trust with the people that you're trying to reach. And number three, it also it, it, it creates a new avenue for you to, to draw in new people you don't already have, to attract new customers. So if you're writing a blog post, it's something that you can have shared across the web that then, of course, can bring in uh, more people and you know more people to your email list and all the different things that you want to do to be able to grow a business or a brand. So that's that's number one. Number one, it's it's really important to actually have you know content that you offer to people, whatever that content is. So then, what different types of content can we provide? So there's obviously a lot of different things. You can blog posts is probably the most common. So, you know, you would write, you know, you'd create a blog section on your website that you would keep updated regularly. So however many times you would want to post that podcast is one. Obviously, you're listening to one right now. So that's a content type, you know, a vodcast or, you know, a video blog is another one. So if you wanted to, you know, record like a weekly video or a regular video, if video really fits the niche that you're trying to reach, that's another one. Email is another one. I just mentioned ConvertKit earlier. Uh, email is in and of itself a way that you can provide content. Most people don't really think of email as a way that you can provide content, but you very much can. And again, even with something like ConvertKit, you can create, you know, a drip campaign or you can create courses or, you know, consecutive email campaigns that offer people value, you know, right to their inbox. Uh, so there's that. And there's just a number of different, you know, avenues and way you can even create PDFs that people can download. So there's a lot of different ways that you can capture or you can create information that you can then provide to people uh, who are in your market or in the people, you know, who are in the, you know, the niche that you're trying to reach. So the first goal and the first thing you want to spend some time brainstorming is what what type of content really fits best. You know, is it something more visual? Should I do a video? Uh, Is it or, you know, is it is the actual is it writing actually going to be the best way to do this? So should I write a blog post regularly? Uh, Or is this something, you know, that people are just going to want to listen to on the go just to be informed with, you know, for example, the Rightly Designed show, it's audible, it's it's uh, audio. So it's something that you can just kind of have with you. Uh, on the go. So it just kind of depends. What do you think is going to fit your audience best? And determining, you know, based upon that, that can help you determine what types of content to create. Uh, Even within, like, let's say you're creating blog posts, even within that realm, there's a lot of different ways you can break off from there. You can create Uh, you know, informative how-tos. You can, you know, uh, write news articles on the latest happenings and events of the day that revolve to your target market. Uh, So again, there's a lot of different ways that you can, you know, brainstorm the specific types of content that you want to create. 
Uh, but even more removed from that, and probably the most important part, even more important than an editorial calendar itself, is consistency. And you'll probably hear this time and again if you ever listen to other bloggers or podcasters or whatever industry you're in or you're aware of. Consistency is by far the most important thing. So by just kind of offering something here or there whenever you get to it, it just doesn't work for people. So for example, one of the things I've tried to do with the Rightly Design Show is to ensure that it's coming out uh, once a week. And it's always going to be coming out once a week. And that way you can always expect to know when it's coming, you know, and you don't have to guess or hunt around or that sort of thing. So that's very important when it comes to providing content is that it is done on a regular schedule. So, and there may come times when you actually experiment with different schedules or you actually experiment with different types of content where you just say, you know, this Thursday, I'm going to surprise my audience with a video and just kind of see what the reaction is to it. And then if it works out, maybe I'll do a video every Thursday. So there's a lot of experimentation that can take place, but coming up with an actual schedule is really important. I've already kind of touched on the reasons why creating content is so important. Uh, but creating a schedule for that content is also really important to ensure that the that the information that you're providing is coming out regularly. And so you have people who are continuously can, who can expect something from you and are continually coming back to you for more of that information. So that's where we get into what I had mentioned previously, which is an editorial calendar. So simply put, an editorial calendar is just a calendar view or a calendar way of being able to view the different topics and the content that you're going to provide. So it's a way that you can kind of plan things out. Uh, specifically, if you're working within WordPress, I'm going to share a couple of different tools that I have used and one that I use right now that can help you do that really efficiently. So once you've kind of created your schedule, like let's say you've got you know a template in your mind or something that you've even worked or written out, of you know when you're going to provide specific types of content. I mean, it kind of depends if you're just going to provide you know one type of content, you know one piece of content per week, like one blog post per week, that works. Or let's say you're going to do three blog posts, you know, a week or even five. You're going to do a video on Monday and a podcast on Tuesday. So there's a lot of different variations that you can do. But once you've kind of nailed down that schedule, that's when we want to create our actual editorial calendar. So an editorial calendar is when we actually plan out the specific types of content or the specific names and topics of content that we're going to provide. So for example, if you are, you know, you're doing a blog on Monday and a video on Wednesday and then like a podcast on Friday, you want to pin down, you know, a week or two weeks or three weeks, or if you can even get a month ahead of planning out the specific topics that you're going to cover. It can save you a lot of time, and that's where an editorial calendar is going to come in handy. So again, this part of this is also has to do with productivity and keeping things organized and wanting to make sure that, you know, that's part of staying, part of staying consistent with these things is doing a lot of planning and a lot of work ahead of time because we all know how things get when you're building a business or, again, building a brand or all the different things that are involved with, you know, just, again, running a business. Things come up, you get busy. Uh, and so that's why it helps one to have a routine, a ritual, you know, something that you, you know, you do this once a week, I create this once a week, but you do it in such a way as to if a, something comes up during the week, you know, you always have that buffer of extra content that you've planned out a month in advance. So, you know, I was swamped this week, I couldn't do my blog post, or I couldn't do my video. 
but I can make it up next week. And so I can get back on track and make sure that I stay one week ahead. That ensures that you always are providing, you know, your, your content is always being published uh, once a week. It's always on schedule, even if you have something come up in your life or in your, you know, your business schedule that doesn't enable you to stay on track. So again, number one, it's creating that content regularly. But number two, creating a buffer or enough content that you have a little bit of leeway room for yourself to allow for a busy time. Uh, you know, to kind of throw things off. So again, that's where that's where it's going to come in really handy to have an editorial calendar. And so there's a couple of tools that you can use to do that. So again, as always, I recommend that you use WordPress whenever you're going to be publishing, especially WordPress is a great, you know, resource for that. Again, I've already I've gone into great length about all the different features that make WordPress a wonderful platform to work with. And if you are working on WordPress, then you can, there's actually a free plugin that you can install and it's just called Editorial Calendar. So Editorial Calendar is going to do pretty much exactly what I described, except for it's going to incorporate directly with WordPress. So what you're going to be able to do is see a calendar. So you're going to be able to see all the days of the week and you can write within this calendar, you can create new draft posts uh, for the blogs or the pieces of content that you want to create. So you see this calendar, you can create a new draft post and then you can put it on the day that you want to publish it. Uh, and it's all drag and drop. So you can see at a glance, okay, it looks like I've got one week planned out. Okay, I've got two weeks planned out and you can drag these things around. You can change the times and you can use it as a way to really start planning out in advance the content that you're going to create. So again, that one's free. They've got a lot of different features. Some of the features are you can see all your posts uh, and when they'll be, they'll be published. So again, you, you're kind of, it works directly with WordPress. You can schedule these things out in advance. So just like WordPress can do natively, uh, you can, except for, you know, you're being able to see it here uh, with an actual visual view, but you can you can schedule these things out, adva out in advance. So they publish themselves once the day comes. Uh, but you can drag and drop and to change your post dates. You can manage your drafts uh, really quickly and easily. You can also quick edit post titles, contents, and times right there within your calendar view. You can publish posts or manage drafts again right within this calendar view. You can see the status of your post and you can manage posts from multiple authors. So that works really well. Uh, I don't think it actually works with multiple post types. So if you have post types in your theme, I don't think it works with those. But if you're just managing posts, it works uh, wondrously to help that process uh, definitely be a lot more streamlined. So one of the ones that I use personally, and now again, I've used to use, I used to use editorial calendar, that plugin, it worked great for a while. Uh, I just found myself hitting the roadblock of custom post types. My site has a lot of different custom post types that I've kind of developed into it again, custom. So it didn't quite work out for me. Um, but it does work again for really basic. Uh, you, again, if posts are your thing, if you're just working with posts, it's great for that. If you are looking for something a little bit more sophisticated, what I ended up using is a tool called CoSchedule. Now, CoSchedule is a standalone web app, which means that you can use it directly on the web apart from WordPress, or you can connect it to your WordPress website and use it right there within WordPress. So it's got a ton of different social media profiles as well that it can connect to, and I'll get to that here in a moment. But everything I just described with Editorial Calendar, the free plugin, you can do in co-schedule. 
So you can go through and you can create drafts on the fly. You can drag and drop them around. You can see at a glance your calendar and all the different types of content that you're working with. It also will work with any, you know, any and all custom post types as well. So if you're in my situation where you've got a theme with a lot of different custom post types, it will show them all on your calendar. And there's no extra hacks or anything that you have to do to be able to show those. Now, one of the best things that uh, really, you know, sold me on CoSchedule is its integration with all your different social networks. So it can connect with your Twitter account, Facebook, LinkedIn, Tumblr, Google+, Pinterest. And I think they, yeah, they even have beta access right now uh, for Instagram. So why is this useful? So what it is, so obviously you can go through the process of creating, you know, your editorial calendar. So we've already kind of gone through why it's important, at least in a nutshell, to create an editorial calendar, why you need consistency with the content that you're creating, and the importance of having a buffer. And you can do all that, of course, within uh, your editorial calendar. So again, uh, something like CoSchedule or editorial calendar can really help you do that visually. You can plan out a month in advance all the different articles that you're going to create or all the different pieces of content that you're going to create. And you can just drag and drop them to the date and the time that you want to be able to have those things published. And again, a great thing about CoSchedule, you can use it on the web all on its own. So you can use it on their web app just at CoSchedule.com, I think is what it is. Uh, or again, you can connect it to your WordPress site and you can you know, save these things uh, as drafts or you can schedule them out to post automatically right there within your WordPress website. But beyond just planning out the posts themselves or the pieces of content themselves, most people are going to want every time they create new content, they're going to want to share that across social media. And I'm, guess it's pro I'm guessing it's probably the same for you. So what CoSchedule allows you to do, which is really, I've never seen anything like this in terms of uh, other tools. I've tried a lot of different apps and tools out there, and I've never really found anything that is quite as powerful as this. So when you click on a post right there within CoSchedule, it's going to allow you to edit all the things I've already mentioned. So you can edit the post, you know, the, you know, the, the title, some of the basic content, you know, when it publishes, all those different things. But what you're actually able to attach to that specific post is a publishing schedule for social media. So all the different social media uh, sources that I previously mentioned, you can connect to your co-schedule account. So what I can do is when a when a new post publishes, because again, it's going to be automatically published thanks to, uh, you know, scheduling it out with co-schedule, I can then say that, okay, one hour after it publishes, I want you to tweet the article out by all my different Twitter accounts. I want you to post it to Google+, I want you to post it to Facebook, and all of those. Then a day after it publishes, I want you to tweet it out again, or I want you to post it out again. And you can customize the specific tweet or message that actually gets sent out. Then you can say, you know, okay, so that was one day after it went live. I want you to tweet about it again uh, one week after uh, publish. And I want you to do it again one month after publish. So what you're doing is you're creating, you're really leveraging uh, all your different social platforms to push as much traffic as possible to the types of content that you're creating. I think a, lo a lot of us go through, 
you know, a lot of extra time, effort, and energy to do a lot of this stuff manually. Maybe you use something like Buffer, which Buffer can actually integrate with this as well. So if you'd like to, you know, have it automatically published to, you know, your Buffer account, you can do that. There's a lot of things that we don't really realize that we have to do on a regular basis. Even something as man, you know, as simple as manually publishing your newest piece of content to Facebook can add up dramatically over time. So what CoSchedule enables you to do is all of these things at a glance. You can just quickly create a chain of content that you're or you know tweets and social media posts that you're going to create once your actual piece of content goes live so it's a very very handy tool when it comes to creating an editorial calendar and so i highly recommend you at least check it out if you'd like to support the show i do have an affiliate link which is just rightlydesigned.com slash co-schedule otherwise you can just go to co-schedule.com and I recommend it for really anybody who's going to be building a blog or who's going to be regularly publishing content. So it's a very useful tool. So I hope that gives you a little bit of an idea of why creating consistent content is so important and how an editorial calendar can help with that. So even if you don't want to use a lot of these different tools that I've mentioned here, or you know, these two different tools that I've mentioned here today, it's still worth taking the time, I think, to create a strategy that really works within the brand that you're trying to establish with people. So you'd be surprised how much simply offering useful information to people can help establish a brand that you're trying to build. It can do a lot more than, you know, big expensive advertising campaigns and what a lot of different companies, you know, try to do through advertising dollars or even just, you know, commercials, all these different things that they do. Uh, you can do at this at just an effective, if not more effective level, simply by offering useful information. And again, that's why creating content is so important and why creating content consistently is so important. And that's why an editorial calendar will really, uh, will really help you in the long run. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you do have a question that you'd like uh, answered here on the Rightly Designed show, again, you can call in at 888-727-1496. We'd be happy to consider that for a full-length episode. Also, if you wouldn't mind taking a quick moment, if you're enjoying the Rightly Designed show, if it's been helpful and useful to you at all, if you wouldn't mind taking a quick moment to leave us a review on iTunes, that really does help us out. And again, I would like to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the program today, and we'll see you next week. Enjoying the Rightly Designed show? Please consider taking a quick moment to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the channel of your choice. Visit rightlydesigned.com show for links to these channels and